what is up everyone it is may 24th 2018 is 7 33 p.m this is rafael garcia back for another edition of the mma ratings podcast and you know first and foremost let me say something y'all my allergies are kicking my ass today like woke up today like a mouth breather could not breathe i sound like i have a hose sticking out of my nose like man like this is just bad so bear with me uh today i apologize for sounding like this but hey there's only so much that i can do about it either way thank you for joining us once again as you guys always do i appreciate your time appreciate you your energy listening uh listening to our content as always it's it's a great thing so thank you all for what you do so we have a lot to talk about this week i mean quite a bit i could spend a whole show just talking about the news between uh ESPN and UFC. If you have, <clears throat> excuse me, if you've been living under a rock and you're unaware, this week it was announced that UFC is leaving the <clears throat> Fox platform and they're heading over to ESPN starting in 2019. Uh, I'm not sure exactly when, but uh, in 2019. <clears throat> that is when the deal with Fox ends and this is huge for a number of different reasons Uh, and it's almost difficult to figure out exactly where to begin but this is huge and it has an impact across the sport we're really going to talk about this uh, during today's show because it is something that is worth the conversation I mean there was a point in time where you would almost believe that this would never occur. I was I was joking with someone earlier this week in the industry who had posted a video of them talking about why ESPN would never want to broadcast UFC on their channels. This was back in what 2010 maybe. And it was funny uh, because we laughed and joked about it how much things have changed since then. But this is a hell of a story. And there's just so much to break down from there. It's funny because this doesn't end with just mixed martial arts. It also kind of bounces into the professional wrestling space too because we're going to talk about that because last week it was announced that WWE SmackDown is moving from USA and going over to Fox. And their deal is also five years, but it's $1 million as opposed to one point five for... um as 1.5 as to the UFC deal. So that's probably something I'll talk about too as well. I'm not sure when. But that's something we could talk about during an upcoming podcast, something new that I'm doing with the uh, Daily DDT, another website that I write for. But that is another conversation on another, on another day. So feel free to check out my Twitter at rgarcia underscore sports to catch more about that pending development. But anyway, jumping back into this conversation about the UFC, 
man, I was kind of well. Let me put it this way: looking back at the news that was announced last week, or maybe two weeks ago, about the UFC and ESPN partnering to take, I think at the time it was 15 fights and place them on the ESPN Plus platform. I was surprised then. I wasn't expecting that to occur. Um, and it caught, it caught a lot of people off guard. And let me give you a little bit of background about myself. Um, I used to work at ESPN from 2007 to the end of 2009. And during that time, I used to be involved in the conversations surrounding the organization's coverage of MMA. And at the time, the point was clear. We're not, I remember sitting in a, in, a, in a meeting where one of the high-ranking individuals was very clear on what he said. We're not covering mixed martial arts because MMA is not a sport. Very clear. The room was definitely more of a older uh, generation. You know, boxing was entrenched in the organization at that time, which is understood. Boxing has a super long legacy, and UFC was still uh, new at, at the time. This is even before they got on to Fox. So I remember that conversation. I'm actually the first individual to ever do stats recording for ESPN. I did it with, at the time, one of the managers, his name was Lynn Milano, and we tracked two fights. GSP versus uh, Thiago Alves, and um, Brock Lesnar versus Frank Mir. I think that was UFC 100. And that's all we did. Since then, it has evolved. Funny how everything comes full circle, because now... I also work at Fightmetric, who does the stats and analysis for ESPN when it comes to a uh, significant strikes and all that good stuff, and and UFC. Um, so yeah, everything kind of come came full circle there. But fast forward to where we are today, and ESPN now has total rights of the pack of the broadcast package for UFC starting in. 2019 and this is worth a five-year deal worth 1.5 billion dollars the usc partnership with fox started back in 2011 and it's coming to a close uh we're going to talk about what that deal means and i guess the legacy of what that partnership has been we'll, we'll come back to that but this is huge because ESPN is getting 30 events next year. I believe there's 12 the 15 pay-per-views that are scheduled for 20, um, 2019. Uh, but ESPN is getting 30 events on their networks. Those 30 include 10 main card events. Think of like the big Fox Fox showcases. The 10 and like the Fox. So it used to be uh, what was it? Fox uh, it was the, the UFC on Fox UFC Fight Nights and then UFC on, on Fight Pass. So UFC on Fox events, these I'm guessing those will become UFC on ESPN. Something along the, along those lines. But those are going to be the 10 main card events on um, ESPN Network. 20 events will be streamed on the ESPN Plus platform. And I think this platform is uh, launched back in April. It is a supplement to what is currently available through ESPN. They've made it adamant that this is not a replacement to what they offer on television. And let me just say something quickly about that because it's interesting to see how quickly 
they're trying to get into the new digital space and do things differently because it's, it's understandable. ESPN has been going through a lot lately. And it's not well. I'm not even gonna say lately. This isn't new. Back when I was there in 2009, that's when they actually started the layoffs, which were the precursor to what you see today. Uh, a lot of guys. I mean, I remember when I was there. I think 30 people were to start. Uh, were the initial rounds of layoffs is mostly like admin assistants, assistants and stuff like that. So you saw a lot of people get let go then. And a lot of reason was because people were cutting the cord. Um, that's around the time when Netflix and all that stuff was growing. People were cutting the cord. And the chickens had come home to roost by for the ESPN building so many high-cost uh contracts like the SEC deal that they have or the deal that they have to broadcast um, NBA or NFL uh, playoff games. Those type of deals cost a substantial amount of money and it really kind of set them back. The layoffs that came afterwards were a result of that. So that helped set the stage for the space we're in today where ESPN is looking for new ways to do things. Thus, the need for, not the need maybe, but the opportunity for them to work with UFC. And this is a deal that comes at a good time for both groups because we know that UFC has been struggling from a rating standpoint on Fox. Year over year, their numbers have been falling. If you follow the sport closely, you see a lot of different things happening, whether it's uh, fights falling apart, uh, the different type of booking that goes on today, as it did in the early UFC days, uh, and nothing seems to really be building the organization's opportunity to keep its growth going. Uh, it definitely fell off. If you look back, if you, I mean, if you, there's been. Uh, frequent conversations about if you look at UFC on Fox, the big Fox, look at the ratings for those events, their their ratings, nightly ratings have been going down across the board year over year. So you have to wonder if moving it over to ESPN will have a positive impact on that because ESPN is the biggest uh, platform in the sports industry regardless of the struggles that they're going through, they're still much, much bigger than Fox. So this places the UFC in a position to get more attention on their product. And we know how well the ESPN ESPN does with promoting sports that are on their platforms. Look at what they've done with the NBA. As we talk about uh, so many different sporting leagues struggling from a rating standpoint and television as a whole continuing to struggle from a rating standpoint. The NBA is one is the only league that is seeing steady growth from a television standpoint and a, and a revenue standpoint. And that says a lot, especially when you look at how people sometimes uh, post their perception on the league with it being 86% uh, minority. So... All that notwithstanding, UFC moving to ESPN does allow them the opportunity to get more eyes on their product, which is extraordinary, and it comes at the right time because they need more eyes on on their product. It has not; things have not been going well for them from a rating standpoint. But 
yeah, so Variety first reported this on Wednesday, and since then, everyone's been talking about it. It's been all the news. I've been listening to like so many different sports podcasts and just reading about people breaking down the deal, and it's one thing after another. So I'm, I'm really interested in seeing how this continues to play out. And also, you know, what does this mean for Fox? As I mentioned, Fox uh, were was the home of was the home of the UFC since 2011. That's where they've been. Uh, you've seen so many different flagship. Like they kicked off their sports Fox Sports uh, nightly show based around. UFC and using that as a way to usher in, hey, draw uh, draw attention with this big fight, and now look look at our at our nightly show. But things change, and I wonder just how much the WWE deal impacted the situation because my initial readings were saying that even though Fox. Picked up a portion of the uh, picked up SmackDown, which is one of the two main WWE events. They were still interested in keeping uh, UFC, and I was really intrigued in that to see how they got that to work, to see if they would to see if they would be able to make something work between the two organizations. But now that's completely off the table as UFC has shift shifted off onto ESPN and these are both some very big deals that have that will benefit the organization. It's funny, I just brought some stock in uh, WWE and I've been watching it kind of just skyrocket over the last few days. I brought it, I purchased it at 40, I think like $41 a share last week or maybe the week before. I think it's like up to 65 a share or something like that now. So, I mean, get in while you can get in, folks, because they've gone up high, but they've never uh, reached this point before. But that's not, I'm not a financial advisor. That is not the point of this conversation. What I want to talk about is also, like, what does this mean? Let me see something. What does this also mean for... The rest of the sport, and it's it's interesting because my mind, the first place it went was to uh, one more second. Swan is going to try to join us. Let me see if he can join us in. But my first place my mind went is whether or not the fans will be able to not the fans, excuse me, fighters will be able to leverage this deal into financial gain for themselves. Let me see. because that's a conversation that's never going to go away. Let me hold on one second, folks. Let me get Swan in this podcast tonight. But my mind immediately went to the question of whether or not fighters will be able to get a part of the pod because we've seen it in other sports. You know, I always use the NBA as an example. Players there sat down and said, we're getting 
a part of the pie, whether the owners wanted to or not. And he leveraged themselves into that. Now we see an opportunity where we see the UFC signing a $1.5 billion deal. And we are all wondering whether or not fighters are going to get something about out of that. But Schwan, uh, you stepped in right at the right time, man. How you doing there, sir? Good. How about yourself? Doing very good, man. Doing very good. I'm glad to, to get you back on the show tonight. You stepped in right at the perfect timing, man. Yeah, these kids, man. I'm telling you, you have kids that take up a lot of time. A lot of time. Hey, man, I totally believe you. You don't you have to tell me. You don't have to convince me of that. But let's um, let's kind of continue the conversation right where I was, man. We have the UFC signing a massive deal with ESPN, five years, $1.5 billion. Uh, what was your first thought of this when you saw the news break earlier this week? Well, I thought it was good for the UFC because – now they are not dependent just on the pay-per-views like because espn pays the money ahead of time so there's a certain stability that comes with being a mixed martial arts fighter in the ufc now because it's not a matter of i mean you will have to put together good cards but now it's like there's a financial stability because the money's already there espn's paying for this product in the same way that they pay for football or fox plays for football or basketball so now that you have that guarantee it it is kind of opens up the opportunities for fighters as far as getting more exposure and hopefully it opens up opportunities for better paydays or maybe better contracts. Well, that's actually where I was right when you um, joined us on the show, because the fighters, the fighters are watching this. They see the news. They see that the organization is getting one point five billion over the five years. So they are watching this. And, you know, Connor's watching this, you know, Tyron's watching this. You know, everyone is much more attuned with the fact that, hey, we are not getting paid a lot of money comparatively to what this organization is bringing in. Now is the time to act. But the question is, will they act? Or how can they act? They don't have a union. They don't have an association. In many ways, it seems like they can't even come together to work together for that cause. So what do they need to do in order to be able to get some of that some of that money that's not on the table. Yeah, well, that's been the problem the whole time. In all the other sports, there's a limited amount of selfishness because everybody's kind of connected. You're a team sport. If you make more money, that if the if the, you make more money, then it kind of has a trickle down effect on the other players. But in this sport, it's kind of every man for its for himself, and nobody really cares about the money issue until their money's affected. So I don't know that anything changes because nobody seems to want to get in the union. <laughs> Because nobody wants to get on the UFC's bad side, and everybody's just really worried about whether they get their own money. If you think about it, we've had that discussion before. Jose Aldo complained about money until he got paid. Cerrone made comments until he got paid. Everybody makes comments, but they don't keep on commenting after their paycheck gets taken care of. After that gets taken care of, they stop, they stop having that argument. They stop having that fight. And it's the same issue all over again. The UFC and all the people they work with, WME, ESPN, they're on the same page. The fighters are not on the same page. And that's the only thing that's keeping them from making any any headway. The UFC pays off one or two guys, and it's the guys who are named guys, so it takes away any traction that the fighters have. Because people don't care about the fighters on the prelims or some of the female fighters. They care about the name fighters. Once you pay off the name fighters, the name fighter has no reason to keep fighting that battle. So they fall off. And once they fall off, it goes back to nobody caring. And nobody's going to boycott the UFC to make sure the fighters get paid. I mean, fans could really speak with their dollars too, but they're not going to. So it's up to the fighters to really put their lives and their careers on the line for one another 
to take a step forward. But like I said a couple months ago, nobody wants to risk their success now so that other people can benefit. Nobody wants to cut their career short so that other people can eat 10 years from now. And that that's the problem. That's going to say the problem. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. I just don't think that I'm, I'm interested in seeing what they do. Uh, I haven't even seen any commentary yet from the fighters in reference to this deal. I haven't seen anything. And I wonder, I doubt they knew anything before the fight was, or before the deal was announced. But I just thought. Like Leslie Smith was willing to take a hit. She's willing to jeopardize her career. Who is who else is willing to take that chance? And it doesn't seem like anybody's willing to sign off on it. Yeah, and what caught my eye is that um, I, yeah, I I'm sitting here thinking now. I have not seen anyone have anything to say about the deal yet. Um, hmm. I mean, yeah, nobody's really said anything. I mean, maybe something's going on behind the scenes, but it's, it's just really hard to believe that. It's really, in this day and age of social media, it's hard to believe that something's going on and nobody has any idea. Just like with ESPN, people had ideas that could go on. So if somebody's going behind the scenes, you think somebody would say something. But you haven't heard, you haven't heard anything from the fighter. And unfortunately, you hear a lot of them complain, but they're only complaining for themselves. You know, like, I'm struggling, I'm struggling, this and that. They're never as a group, and they don't have any power in it. There's not enough. There's, most of the guys in the UFC are not big enough stars where they have any individual power. So they have to stand together, but it's like they just refuse to do it. And the minute somebody else gets in the way of their paycheck or their title shot because of an injury or because of a sickness, the first thing they do is throw, you know, basically go after them. The, Dana White doesn't even have to. The fighters do it. But in the NFL or NBA, what's the first rule they have? You don't talk about somebody else's money. You don't talk about somebody else's opportunity, no matter what they ask you. And if you step out of line, your other fellow players will correct you. In the UFC, MMA, they don't care. You talk about somebody, oh, they're faking injury, they want more money. They just attack you like wolves. It was like once I once again, fighters are all going different directions. UFC, ESPN, they're on the same page. So that's why the fighters can't ever get any traction. They're fighting each other as well as trying to fight. You're kind of breaking up a little bit there, but I, I definitely understand what you're saying in reference to um, how fighters react to each other when it comes to talking about money. Um, I, oh, before we go, I, I had one question for you, actually. Yeah. I talked about this with Michael um, on Twitter. You know how, like, um, as a, if, if everything goes well, MMA should take a boost in popularity, especially with the gambling and everything else coming up. You know, we cover MMA. We do articles on it, break down fights, break down fighters. Do you think that some of that spillover will benefit us? You know, like they do shows and they'll talk to a beat writer or a football specialist or a basketball specialist to get their take on a fight or or certain situations within the sports and the sports community. Do you think that would benefit us? Like would that roll over to us where it's like, well, let's get expert Rafael Garcia or Shawan Hume to talk about the next event coming up? I mean, uh, yes. I It's funny. Luke Thomas was talking about this today. I find it hard to believe that the industry is in a place where people should be fearful of their jobs. Um, just because, you know, we see growth within the industry, but I think it, a lot of it depends on if you have your shit together and you are positioned as a voice in the industry. 
like people are going to like let's let's use like Adam Martin for example. You know, he's our, our colleague who his popularity has been growing across the sport, and you see his um, brand showing up on bigger and bigger names. Same thing with a name like James Lynch. You know, if you are positioning yourself as a, a professional uh, professional voice in the industry then this is a benefit to you. Hell, we see Ariel Hawani is joining ESPN starting next month. But if you're a, how can I put it nicely? If you're someone who is a, I'll just say, if you're someone that's a troll, like a front row Brian or a talk MMA, like Diz, one of those guys, if you're a troll who looks to be overly uh, abrasive and that's how, like that's what you're known for, this isn't going to benefit you wholeheartedly. You may get some shine a little bit just for that style, just from that style of, of audience. But overall, I think this is going to benefit the industry as a whole and force some more professionalism into MMA coverage. One thing I will say though is I hope, I hope that the, uh, I hope that the the brand at ESPN brings on more. Uh, individuals who are well versed in the sport to talk about it, because right now uh, I think that they have they have Brett Okamoto, they have Ariel Hawani, uh, Phil Murphy, who we had on our show is very well versed in, in MMA. Um, John Anik was there; he's no longer there. Todd Grisham was there; he's no longer there. Uh, it'll be interesting to see who they bring into the platform to talk about MMA in a well-educated space. I think that that is important, and that's something I'm watching as well. Well, that that's also like, as somebody, I was talking to Michael about it. I was talking to a couple other people, and they're like, you know, it's like, I always tell people, I cover a lot of women's MMA, and most people, when they're interested, a lot, a lot of people like to get my position on it, and I'm like, that's that's the whole thing. If you have an angle that you can move on, because it's not just the TV shows, it's when you have big events, it's when you're on the radios or the podcasts. You know, they're always looking for content. They're looking for unique perspectives. And at first will be Ariel Hawani, maybe Luke Thomas, and people will get some run. But everybody takes a step up. So Ariel Hawani took two steps up, which means there's a vacuum in his spot. He, Whoever moves up to take his spot, there's a vacuum in that spot. You just have to be educated enough and have enough content out there, quality content, that puts you in a position where you have a perspective that might be respected. I mean, people are like, why do you keep saying you're the go-to in, w- in women's MMA? Or you're the, you keep saying you're the best analyst in women's MMA and you get other people saying it. I'm like, because now with the gambling thing, people are going to look for any angle to make their bets. If I'm a really good analyst, my, my views go up. If I'm a really good, if I have unique perspectives or honest perspectives, you know, people need to, there's a big women's fight. Who's the guy we need to talk to? We can look at that track record. So I, I just think there's a lot of opportunities, not just for the fighters, because and, this, and before we switch off this topic, I'm not bashing the fighters. I think they should get paid more. I think they should get more opportunities. But there's a lot of, and you know this for a fact, there's a lot of MMA people who are very serious. There's been a lot of money going to fights and covering fights and finding interviews, and they don't make any money. So None. it's like it's an opportunity for them to make a living. The fighters might not be making a great living, but they are making a living. Most of us people who cover mixed martial arts, we're making a living from another job, and we just treat this like a second or third job we do. Yeah, this is definitely a passion uh, for me, and but there is going to be—I I believe there is going to be opportunity uh, when we see as we see this. If, if they come, if they come for me, behind. Don't remember. Don't forget. I'm bringing you with me. <laughs> Listen, I need you to start selling some of your bets. That's what I need out of you. 
So <laughs> yeah, I'm still kicking myself for that, that Holly Home Ronda Rousey bet, man. I I made so many people money. They're like, well, I know you bet on it, and I'm like, nah, I didn't. They're like, dang, man, what's wrong with you? College yeah, education could have been paid for. Yeah, I need for you to start um selling your selling your your bets. I I will promote it. You sell your bets, and let's get paid. That's really how that works. I, I'm really gonna I'm re- I'm really gonna start thinking about this because I'm getting too many right. I'm like. I'm on too much of a streak, man. I I really need to start telling people you need to go with me on my, on these decisions and make some of this money. <laughs> Definitely. So let's let's stick on on the um, ESPN story for a little bit longer, and let's look at um. Hold on a second. Let me get the agenda back up. Good are you? What do you think this does to Fox? Because they're losing. See, they're losing the, the UFC, but I'm not gonna. I'm not going to say if I had to grade this partnership between Fox and the UFC, I would give it a C. It started out high, but grades recently have been low. Ratings have been low. Fights have been low. We've seen that across the board. And that has brought the average down. C, C minus. What do you think? A, what would you grade this? partnership between Fox and um, UFC, and what do you think the legacy of this does to Fox? Uh, as far as the grade, I think I'd be with you, maybe a C-. minus. I think it had potential. The biggest benefit for being on Fox was you could get to be on like the national stage of Fox TV. That was the biggest benefit for being on Fox. The problem with being on the Fox cable systems is there's too many channels, and they're not super popular, and they just they weren't getting ratings before. Like ESPN, even though their ratings have been kind of up and down, they have big market sports. They get big regular ratings. So they're looking for more content so they can expand their appeal and expand their grasp. Fox was just trying to fill up empty space. Like they had nothing. You know, they've got the World Badminton League or something like that. So they were just trying to fill up space. And I think part of the reason they had so many crappy cards is because they had so much space to fill. With ESPN, after seeing what they did with boxing, they're going to have actual setup events. It's going to help expand it. It's going to be very professionally ran. It won't be getting overrun by different shows or you have to constantly have put together fight cards that don't make any sense. They want quality fight cards. We don't want pushovers and easy fights. We want fights that are going to draw attention and fights that are going to pique the interest of the fans. That's what they've been doing with boxing, so I feel that's what they're going to do with mixed martial arts. Uh, as far as Fox, I mean, they'll find something else to fill it up. I don't. I don't think it was a game changer. I think it just showed some of the. It showed that mixed martial arts had a bigger fan base because they weren't just stuck on Spike. They were able to go to a national brand and succeed more or less, depending on how you you rate success. But I think ESPN is going to take that to the next level. They're just a little bit more committed. They're a little bit more rehearsed. They're a little bit more dedicated to the process of of a big time event as far as it goes to combat sports. So I mean. I don't see how they doesn't. I don't see how it's not, they don't knock it out of the park. You've already seen they've they've almost eliminated HBO from the boxing game. ESPN's got half the big fights. It's ESPN and Showtime now. Not even ESPN, HBO, and Showtime. It's basically Showtime and ESPN for right now. So now they're about to have the whole market cornered on combat sports. I mean, don't they do wrestling as well already? Uh, like for the uh, talking about ESPN. Yeah, they do national. Wrestling, um, they do the, the I'm just saying when it comes when it comes to combat sports, they pretty much have it, you know, covered. I mean, they they cover a lot of a lot of avenues on combat sports. 
So, I mean, I, I think this is really going to be part of something that really expand, expands the whole UFC and expands mixed martial arts as a whole. Hopefully, mixed martial arts as a whole. Right now, it's just going to benefit the UFC. This it, Initially, it was. Um, that's where they started. And then um, they did have some pro wrestling on ESPN, but it was like old stuff. They've been covering it more lately. Um, it'll be interesting to see if that changes with it going over to with SmackDown going over to Fox. But they have been covering it much more lately. It's funny because a friend of mine that still works there he was telling me that they've um, implemented like a pro wrestling database, which I think is hilarious. Um, which I, I think it's hilarious. But uh, yeah, they do cover it more now than they used to. Yeah, I, I really, I'm, I'm on a side note. I'm kind of wondering if another. MMA organization if Fox does like a contract to kind of get somebody else on because they they do have a lot of open space and even though the UFC didn't get the ratings they wanted and the money they wanted I can't help but feel that Fox felt it was a success because even if they're getting low ratings the only other options they had for shows weren't going to do anything better than what the UFC was doing so maybe they maybe they try and get on with Combate or they try to get on with I don't think they could do Bellator. Maybe they could find another organization to do a partnership with where they could put their shows over on um, on the Fox broadcast because there's lots of MMA all over the world. It wouldn't get big ratings, but they could get consistent ratings because people could see it on their US TV, and that would be a big thing, I think. And see, and that's the thing, because someone um, else, uh, I think it was Daniel on um, the MMA Hour today, he brought up uh, he brought up Combates and as an um, opportunity for a partnership with Fox in the future. So I would like to see if that happens as well. Hey, it, it just benefits everybody. The bigger they get, the more opportunities for more fighters, more opportunities for people who cover all the different sports. I, I'm just ha- I'm just happy to see that people are investing in the sport and trying to find different stars and different promotions to present the sport as because it's not just the UFC. UFC has been eating for a while. MMA hasn't been doing quite as well. So it's nice to see that opportunities might be popping up for MMA fighters as a whole, not just guys with the UFC label on them. So I have another question for you, actually, in reference to the media aspect of it. Do you think this will impact the way ESPN covers the UFC? And what I mean by that is, if you look at their partnership with the NFL, as example. Um, the ES- ESPN is very cognizant of negatively covering the NFL. This has been well known. Like, they had that show Playmakers that they canceled because it was... It was the truth. It, it reflects the reality. Yeah, yeah you, you, I definitely remember that. Do you think this will change the way the commentators at ESPN covers MMA. They don't cover it a lot now. Do you think that they'll be willing to um, deal with that those, those tough conversations? I, I think A, they'll cover it more, and B, they might not try to have tougher conversations because they're, trying, they're very protective of people they have a partnership with, but the only difference is now, when there's a big scandal in mixed martial arts, especially the UFC, you won't be able to brush it away as quickly. The discussions are going to be had because, like, let's say on ESPN Sports Center, they don't bash the NFL. How many talk shows or or discussion shows do they have where all those issues in the NFL or the NBA come up and are talked at at length from all different perspectives? Like, they might not be getting it directly from ESPN, 
from people who were working for ESPN, those discussions are going to be had. You have a fighter beat his wife, a fighter get caught on drugs, your fighter drunk driving. Those issues were going to be discussed now. They might not be put on front page and they might be might not be totally lambasted, but the fact of the matter is there will be discussions and there will be multiple discussions. It won't just go away. The NFL talk is on every single channel. Every single discussion they have on ESPN when they have a talk show, a guest show, whatever kind of show that it is, they discuss it. There's an issue in MMA. They might not attack them, but it will be discussed. It won't go away as quickly. There won't be any way to sweep it under the rug. It's going to be on a national, on the biggest sports network in the world, talked about, talked about by all their stars on radio and on podcasts and on TV. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely uh, with you on all that. Hold on a so, let me see. There was another question that I was thinking of. Uh, I can't remember where I was at it, but um, overall, I'm I'm excited because of this deal here. Uh, I think it's ESPN doing things differently. As you know, since John Skipper has left as president and he brought in someone else, I think this is a right step for that organization because they continue to do things differently, which I like. I'm a fan of doing things differently instead of doing things the same way. We see that they've been having issues with subscription rates and a whole bunch of other problems across the board. Um, overall, when we look back at you know this week, what do you think we'll be saying about this e- ESPN partnership? It's probably the biggest story in, mixed mar- in, in combat sports history. I mean, like I said, ESPN's already made a, a lengthy and impassioned investment with boxing. It's true with top rank, but look at the level of fights they've had recently. I mean, just the Linares-Lomachenko fight. Lomachenko's fought repeatedly. They're going to have Crawford on it. They had Pacquiao fighting on non-pay-per-view. These are huge, huge things in the world of boxing, which have been stuck on pay-per-view and only, and only purely – cable services like Showtime or HBO. This kind of broke all the barriers and reset the rules and it's bringing all these different organizations and fighters under one umbrella. ESPN has the same, has the potential to do the same thing with um, mixed martial arts. This could really turn everything. This could be something that gets fighters paid. could turn MMA fighters into legitimate stars. It could turn around the direction of mixed martial arts journalism. Instead of it being the wild, wild west, you have guys out there having to do real articles, do real research. And the guys who are already doing that, getting an opportunity to have real-life careers, whether it's doing a podcast or it's doing a show or it's being a special guest, have real-life careers over this. This essentially has made MMA as mainstream or has the potential of making it as mainstream as widespread as it is for the past 10 years. They keep saying it's mainstream, it's mainstream, it's mainstream. It, it, it really wasn't. But if they're going to have a deal such as this, this is a chance for MMA to really become mainstream and not just for that five or seven year period, but to really get immersed in the culture and in the world and in society to the point where it's almost considered regular, like like uh, baseball and football and soccer. That's the way they do the top ring boxing. They talk about that now as much as they talk about any other sport. All those guys get to go on first take and this show and that show. They used to not have them before. But now that ESPN regularly showing boxing, those guys are getting those opportunities. They're investing in the sport. Uh, it, it could be the biggest turning point in in, in the history of the UFC, outside of when they actually started coming up with the ground, coming up with, the, with actual weight classes and treating it like a professional sport instead of a no holds barred match. This really might be the big that changes the shape of mixed martial arts and combat sports as well. So, you know, we're here to talk about combat sports, and we have some fights to actually talk about this, 
this week, we have two fight cards, UFC Liverpool and Bellator 200. And this is kind of like a part, an aspect of what makes this deal so interesting because if you look at UFC Liverpool, if you're not a hardcore fan, there isn't a lot that makes you want to watch this event at all. Um, outside the main of, event. Except for the main event. Yeah, the main event is pretty interesting. We're going to start there, actually. Talk to me about um, Darren Till versus Stephen Thompson. We have a fight here where we have a guy who has fought for the title twice, has not won it, against a guy who's trying to make a run, and a lot of people see him as a very hot prospect in the sport. What are your thoughts about this, and, and what do you see going on? Well, Wonderboy didn't want this fight. He He's the number one contender. He's trying to get another shot at Woodley. The only thing is, both of his fights with Woodley were very boring, and, and they weren't really all that close in the, in the grand scheme of things. So he's basically trying to maintain his spot so that he can force his way into another title shot with Woodley because he, he knows for a fact he's whoever wins between Covington and RDA is going to get the shot at Woodley, and he's going to have to sit and wait, hopefully, hoping they beat Woodley so that he can get another opportunity. But big, I, I'm a big Stephen Thompson fan. I like the uniqueness of his style. I like the fact that he's able to showcase the traditional martial arts within a combat sports um, environment with the grappling, with the submissions, with the boxing and kickboxing. He can work it in there. But the biggest problem I have with Wonder Boy is he hasn't really shown his striking against really legitimate season in your striker. He's been beating up on guys who were like wrestlers first, grapplers first, who learned to kickbox a little bit or learned to box a little bit. And if you, it's just like you know, as a grappler, if somebody who's been striking most of their life picks up grappling, there's certain there's a certain feel, there's a certain seasoning they lack because they haven't spent months, weeks, years within the context of that sport. There's going to be little things they miss that against an average guy they're fine with, but against a guy who's got seasoning and experience, they're going to have to pay a price for that. That's what Darren Till is. Darren Till is a legitimate striker. He's got legit legitimate striking chops. He's spent an extended time striking first. And he's competed in striking. I don't think the openings that are regularly there against a Johnny Hendricks or a Jake Ellenberg or even a Jorge Masvidal are going to be there against Till. Till's a little bit more practice. He's a little bit more rehearsed. He's a little bit more organic as a striker. Now, I don't know that he has the variety and the creativity that, that um, Thompson has with his lead leg and his kicks. But the fact of the matter is Thompson's a below-average boxer, and he has a bad habit of moving in and out on straight lines. And as, and as dynamic as he can be, it's a little bit harder to be dynamic against a guy who's going to come in like Till, who's going to be damn near middleweight, if not close to light heavyweight, and a guy who's not going to give you the easy opening, and a guy who's comfortable with the level of contact and the pace that comes with being in an extended striking game. We knew Johnny, we knew Johnny Hendrick wanted to get the fight to the ground. We knew that Jake Ellenberg really wanted to get the fight to the ground. Most guys aren't equipped, skilled, or trained enough to be in an extended striking exchange with Stephen Thompson on any level. Darren Till, while not as diverse and not as unique in style, has the, has the experience and has the training to do that with him. I really think Till's going to win this. My option would be to pressure aggressively, but look, you can't let Stephen Thompson rack up volume. You need to punch him between his shots. You need to punch him. He hits you with two, you got to hit him back. You don't go for the head because his stance kind of allows him to slip headshots. You chop up the legs, you chop up the body. Every time he touches you, you fire right back. You make him pay to the legs, you make him pay to the body because he uses that fighter stance. That's how he gets that explosive first step in for that lead leg kick to the body, lead leg kick to the head, or when he gets in for his strikes. The key thing is to use intelligent pressure, discipline pressure, 
look to counter, get your hands on him, trap him on the cage, and unload on him. I don't really have a lot of faith that Stephen Thompson can take abuse as much as he can dish it out. I don't think he can handle Darren Till in the clinch. The only question is he might try to grapple with him, but I haven't seen enough of Stephen Thompson on the ground that says that if he's initiating grappling exchanges, he can dominate a bigger, stronger, more physical fighter on the ground. He might have better skills, but I don't know that his skills are so practiced that he could really make up for the lack of size he has and the lack of physical strength. Um, the, my big concern for Till is he's going to lean too much on his size and his weight, and he's going to be too anxious to put on a show. If he comes in too aggressive, trying to put too much pressure in and he's not measured in it, Steven Thompson is going to draw him into a shot, chop him up to the body, break him down, and then knock him out. But I really believe he's got the physical durability, and I believe he's got the stopping power to either walk to walk Thompson down over five or to put him away somewhere between the first and third round. Yeah, man. Um, so you so you picking Thompson? Uh, I, I'm I'm going to go with Till. Oh, you're going you, you're going with Till. Okay, we'll see. Um. I think it's a, it's just, it's definitely an important welterweight fight because this division is at a point where they need some new contenders. We kind of see that slowly occurring with Kamar Usman pushing to the top. Um, you have the winner of RDA. They, but they, they, they need coming. They need guys who can win, but win spectacularly. Covington beat Maya. And it was a good fight, but it wasn't spectacular. Usman beat Maya, but that wasn't spectacular either. If Till comes out there and really puts on a show and really can and wins this fight and does so impressively, he's going to move to the front of the class because they need somebody who just who not only evokes emotions and has a huge fan base, but generates enough action in the fight that people will be interested in it. Usman has not done that in his last three fights. Covington has not, not looked dynamic or exciting in his last two fights. This is a big chance for Hill. If Till knocks can stop Wonder Boy or just win in an exciting fight, you know, that's a that's a dynamic win over Cerrone, a dynamic win over Wonder Boy. Uh, his two last wins would be better than me. As far as action, as far as quality of fighter, better than anything Covington or uh, Usman had done. So put them right in the driver's seat. So out of those, let's say I'm going to pick four men. I'm going to pick Ponzinibbio, Usman, mm-hmm. Till, and Covington out of the oh no, I'm gonna pick five. I'm gonna add RDA to that. Which one of those do you think gets a title shot first? I would say RDA. I think RDA is actually the best fighter out of them. He's actually been a world champion. He's actually seasoned and experienced fighting numerous world class fighters. He's got a familiar name. He's got an exciting style, and he's won his he's won his fights in a in a fashion that says that he might have something for Woodley. The other three guys. They just haven't looked dynamic enough. They've, they've shown flashes. You know they have the ability, but they haven't been able to put a stamp on their performances that says, I want to see this guy. I mean, after that last fight with De- Maya, were you saying, oh, I need to see Usman in a title fight? I wasn't saying that. After Go- Covington's fight with Maya, I wasn't saying that. The only difference Woodley has is Woodley has the belt, so he has the luxury of putting on a stinker. These other guys don't. They're trying to get to his spot. I think RDA has the, is going to be the one to title challenge for the fight. And if Till wins his next fight, he'll be no less, no more than a fight away from a title shot himself. Hmm, okay. All right. I can definitely see that there, man. So um, what else from this card? I'm glad you joined us when you did because I wasn't too quite sure myself. But what else on this card stands out? Because it doesn't feature a lot of big names. Um, it's going on in Liverpool. And it has like a lot of – I feel like it's a lot of fighters that are trying to break through. Um, that they're trying to push through at the right important point in time. So what do you see here and what kind of stands out? 
I'm kind of interested in the Jason Knight fight to see how he bounces back. Knight was considered an up-and-coming prospect. He put like two or three wins together where he was winning at high contact, high striking, high-paced grappling fights. And then after he lost to uh, Ricardo Lamas, he just he, – in that fight, he didn't look nearly as dynamic or as poised as he had in previous fights. So you, now you start to wonder – if he's reached to the point where he can no longer compete at the UFC level, if he's going to stay with the guys he has, he currently has in his camp. His, his athletic talent doesn't carry him anymore, and now you're seeing against the higher level, starting to see holes in the game. Um, I, I can't say the name of the guy's name. I can't. Because I can't say the guy's name correctly. I've only been a couple But it's the guy he's facing. He's facing a guy who's a better wrestler, the top grappler, and a guy who's on his back making him have to fight from his guard. And a lot of Jason Knight's success is the fact that he's been able to take guys. He's been able to create scrap. He's been able to transition the position from, from a superior position and, finish, and look for some things to finish with. I don't think he has the option to fight. I don't think he's a better athlete. I don't think he's a better striker. And I know he's not a better wrestler. So it's going to be very odd for me to see him when he's been consistently put on the defensive. But it's it's interesting because at one point they got this guy was a new star. He had kind of a fan base. He was a, the white trash thing he is or whatever they called him. And within a fight or two, he's lost all his momentum. Now guys are crazy. So you're breaking up, man. You're, um, you're, I didn't hear like any of the last two sentences. As a, at one point, he was considered like Hick Diaz, the white trash Nick Diaz. And he had a kind of a fan base. And it looked like he was going to be one of the next big stars. But after that, that loss uh, to Lamas, um, people are really starting to look at him differently. And it's interesting to see what new tricks he has or if he's really hit his ceiling as far as how far he's going to develop and improve moving forward as a fighter. So that fight interests me from that point. Okay, okay. So um, is there anything that are, is there anything, is there, are there any fighters that, you, that, you're, that we're going to watch on Saturday that you think can break through to uh, become contenders? Uh, at this stage, I, I really can't. I really don't. I really don't think so. At this age, most of the fighters on there, I haven't seen enough of. I haven't seen. I haven't seen enough improvements individually, or I haven't seen enough of them against a certain caliber of fighter. So, all these. The, the best thing about the guys in this car is, all their careers are kind of still up in the air, depending on how they perform in the next fight. Or I'm not even talking about win or lose, but how they perform in the next fight or two. That's that's the exciting thing. The bad thing about it is nobody's made enough of an impression on me or the fans or the people making the fights where you can really say, I need to watch this guy fight because he has star written all over him or he has potential contenders written all over him. None of the guys on this card, I don't have that impression about any of the guys on the car, this card right now. Okay. All right. So let's talk about Bellator 200 here, man, where we have Gegard Mousasi, who, odd trivia fact, he's the only guy to be a part of UFC 200 and Bellator 200. That'll be an odd trivia fact at some point in time in the future. But he is challenging for the Bellator middleweight title against Rafael Carvalho. Uh, break down that fight for me there, man. Uh, what do you think is going to go down there? As you know, I've always been a fan of Musasi, and I think he's one of the most underrated individuals in the uh, sport today. So what are your thoughts about this main event battle? I'm not a big fan of Carvalho. He's a guy with some athletic ability. He's he's got some diverse and creative kind of striking. He can, he's functional on the ground. He's not di he's not particularly dynamic or deep in his skill set, but he can do a little bit of everything 
emphasizing more is striking. He's got some athletic ability. His problem is he's never been able to put it together consistently, even though he's won the belt. And I really think he lost against Melvin Manhoff, but then he beat him in a rematch. But Melvin Manhoff as an MMA fighter is extremely, extremely limited. So everything kind of skews in the favor of Gegard Musasi. The question is, how much does Gegard have left? I know he's talked about retirement. Plus the fact that he's been fighting for a really, really, really long time against a very high level of opponent the majority of his life. Even though he's a young guy, he's kind of like a Rory McDonald in the fact that he's had so much fights, so much mileage put on him for fighting so often and fighting so fighting bigger opponents and fighting opponents of a high skill level. You kind of wonder what he has left. Because against Slomenko, we thought he was going to take him down, submit him easily. But Slomenko had him in trouble from round one until the end of the fight. And Slomenko in on paper, isn't as well-grounded, isn't as experienced, isn't as seasoned as I think Musashi wins this. I think he's too good a wrestler. I think he's too good a grappler. But the, the way he reacts to getting hit by Shlomenko and the fact that I think he's losing a little bit as far as his athleticism, and he was never the most dynamic athlete in the first place, I think Car- Carvalho has chances on the feet if he kind of jumps on Musashi early and puts him on his heels. If he's going to let them fight at pace, like Pace Musashi wants, or Musashi's the boss, and he's pressuring and he's dictating where the fight goes, um, Musashi should win it inside of, what, two to three rounds at the worst? Because he's a far better grappler, he's a far better wrestler, he's faced a far better level of opposition, and Carvalho hasn't looked dominant against average opposition at best. It's just that Musashi has lost a step physically, and I think he's lost a step as far as his durability as well. This is a very dangerous fight for him, but I'm going to go with Musashi based off his experience and the quality of opposition he's faced and beaten. Good, good, good there. So, do you, what do you think about Musashi's career, his career? Do you think he's underrated, overrated? Where would you put him? I, I would say, I mean, for a guy who hasn't won a title, he's beaten people. Well, no, he did win the title in Force. I take that back. Um, give, I mean, he, to me, he'd be an MMA Hall of Famer. He's faced, he's been fought in almost every major organization. He's fought a who's who of fighters from light heavyweights to middleweights to heavyweights. He's won a world title in Strike Force. He was world ranked in UFC. And if he wins the fight, if he wins the title in Bellator, that means he's a two organization champion in two different weight classes. I mean, I know there's a lot of organizations, but there's very few large ones. And he would have won titles in two and multiple weight classes in two of the biggest. So that carries some weight. I don't think you can I don't think you can underrate him. The only way I would say he's underrated is that fans don't really appreciate him because he doesn't have a style or personality that draws a lot of attention. He's just never been that guy. But as far as skill sets and accomplishments, uh, nobody underrates him. Everybody thinks he's been one of the best for like at least the past 7 to 10 years. Interesting. Interesting there. Interesting there. So, is there anything else to take away from this uh, event? Um, I want to see the fight with uh, Yankova and Kate Jackson. Kate Jackson is kind of the, she's kind of like a journeywoman fighter. She's skilled more or less in all areas. She's tough. She's durable. She's got a lot of experience. She fights often. She's not an easy win. But usually you bring her in when, when you need to have a name fighter or maybe a prospect come in and you need them to be in tough but not too tough. A fighter who, if they beat them, won't punish them or ruin them, but a fighter who can push them and force them to address holes in their game. Uh, Yankova has been kind of an issue with Bellator because she's kept missing weight, and she's she's a very attractive girl. She's got a lot of attention from Russian mixed martial arts and people all over the world, but they need to put her in with more of a legitimate opponent who can kind of 
so they can really get a gauge of who she is as a fighter and where she is as a fighter. This is important because if she wins this fight, um, that's the star potential. And if she can win a fight or two, I guarantee you they will be trying to move her into a title fight sooner than later. And so um, that Yankee-Kate Jackson fight is a very important one for the division because they're trying to flesh out their, their women's division and they're trying to find stars, people who can evoke emotion, people who can get ratings. And right now they don't have a lot of them. So it's, it's for Be- in Bellator's best interest, they would like a girl who can fight, a girl who's tough, but a girl who is also considered classically attractive to be in their world title rankings and up for a potential world title shot. I mean, it's just the same thing all over. Attractive people with skills are always going to get a little bit further than people who are considered less attractive with skills. Now, it's not just a woman thing. It's a man thing. Ask Oscar De La Hoya. He wasn't the biggest draw for no reason. What's funny is um, you said Yankova elicits emotion and she's a star in the making. I mean, ever since, you know, as more and more stories come out about white nationalism and MMA, I find it much more intriguing to watch and read about these stories. You know, her name has been linked to um, that mindset with her posting images of Nazi um, paraphernalia, uh, posting um, images in reference to Hitler fighting in that organization that um, was based out, out of a white nationalist apparel company. As I see her name, I question, you know, what her, I question her real feelings and thoughts about that. Because of course, you're trying to become a big star in America. You're going to say, yeah, no, that was never my belief. That was never my mentality. But looking at her, I question that. And I wonder what her true nature is. Yeah, um, it's weird. I mean, you you wonder. But I mean, if she really is connected to him, um, as the sport starts to expand a little bit more, it's going to get really hard to get away from that. Because some people aren't going to let that story go. It is weird that she's going to uh, AKA. So I'm like, I, I would assume they've done some research on this because I know they would hate to be attached to a, a white. I would think they'd hate to be attached to a white nationalist group. You know, but what's that's, that's something you don't. That MMA, MMA is a uh, MMA is okay. Like MMA is not a diverse sport. It is not a sport that has a lot. Has a wide range of thought when it comes to it. Yeah. No, it's it's true. It is very kind of a single-minded and kind of appeals mostly to a certain fan base, which is part of the reason certain people can't get a foothold as far as being stars, because it doesn't have as much of a hold in other fan, other fan bases as far as other races. Yeah, we know, but that's neither here nor there. I don't want to um, dive too much further into that. Why don't you let everybody know what you're working on, man? I know you've been swamped, but you're still, but you're still, but you've been in, in the lab and you still got some stuff coming out. So what do you got? Um, I have an article on Lena Landsberg. She's fighting Gina Mazzani. And um, I mean, when it comes to the women's fights, a lot of people don't cover them in depth. They especially only cover the big names. So when I cover them, I like to cover not just the people in the top of the card or even the middle of the card. I think this can be the first fight, the curtain, the curtain jerker. So um, I broke down the fight between Lena Landsberg and Gina Mazzani talk about Lena's potential for future as a fighter at, at the Bantamweight division. Uh, next week for MMA ratings, I will have an article talking about the 10 reasons behind the fight between Joseph Benavidez and Sergio Awesome, man. Awesome breakdown there. And I'm working on, as usual, um, plenty of pro wrestling coverage coming this week. I'm, going, I'm working on probably going to do a piece about this ESPN partnership and what I would like to see from it. Um, 
yeah, man, I just got quite a bit of stuff I'm working on uh, for this week. Yeah, as always, nothing new about that. Definitely. So, um, as always, guys, thank you for taking the time to listen to us. Uh, please be sure to like and share our content wherever you can find it. Schwan, let them know where they can find us. You can find us on YouTube, SoundCloud, and iTunes are the three awesome. main places you can find us on. You ever have any questions or concerns about the show or something you want on the show, whether it's a guest or something you want us to discuss, you can always hit me up or hit Raphael up on Twitter, and we will gladly talk about this because we do it for you guys. Thanks, guys. And with that in mind, let's go ahead and close out the show and have a great night, everyone. You too, sir. <laughs>